Ephesians chapter 2. And you know that anytime we come together, one of the distinctives of Calvary Chapel is that any given time that we're gathering corporately, we are looking at the scriptures, traveling through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through a book of the Bible, and allowing God to speak to us in context so that we can see the scripture and grow by the scripture. And it's a blessing to be able to do that. And so we've landed. This is week 10 in the book of Ephesians. So we're cruising along. Yes. And we're finishing chapter two today. Yeah. This year, I've really, um, I'm so thankful I've put all of my critics to shame and I've silenced them. And um, after three years in Matthew, y'all talked a lot of junk. <laughs> um, so we're in the book of Ephesians. We're going we're gonna to read a little bit and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and we'll, we'll begin to talk. Notice uh, in chapter 2, we're going to pick up our, our study in verse 19, in verse 19 through verse 22. Very short this morning. Verses 19 through 22. So let's look at it. Notice it says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. And so, Father, we thank you this morning. I pray even now as we turn our hearts to what you have to say that you, Lord, would allow us to Put the cares of this life and this world aside, that you would even remove the distractions in the room, that you would take this hour as your own to have your way with us, to teach us by your spirit as only you can, Lord God, doing all that you need to do within us, whether to correct us or encourage us or, or whatever, Lord God, that we may be changed and leave this place different than the way we came in. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we say together, amen, amen. amen. You know, I came across a story, and this story is very interesting. It's every homeowner's nightmare, the headline said, the foundation of your house crumbling under your family's feet. And it's happening across hundreds, potentially thousands of homes in Connecticut. That's how the headline read. And I started to bring the video, but I'll just tell you some of the gist of it. It was in 2016 in Connecticut that 30,000 homes began to have issues with their foundation, particularly in the basement areas. And the governor asked FEMA even to declare it a national disaster. It was costing billions of dollars. It would cost them billions of dollars to repair all of the homes. Um, all of the homes that filed claims with the homeowner's insurance were denied. Homeowners were complaining of hearing popping noises, loud popping noises in their homes, and they began to go and check, and in the basement walls and the foundation walls, they were finding cracking and splitting. The foundations were declared unsafe in over 10,000 homes because the material from the quarry had issues. In fact, the concrete contained a particular mineral uh, uh, that was found in it, and this particular uh, mineral, when exposed to water over long periods of time, would expand and cause the concrete to bust and split and crack. One house in particular that they interviewed required $200,000 in repairs alone, which was way more than 60% of the value 
of the home itself. Can you imagine that? Because of faulty building material in the foundation. And we know that anytime you're going to build any kind of structure, the foundation is extremely important. If you build anything, you know this. If you're going to build a Lego structure, you build the, the foundation platform first. Anything you build starts with the foundation, and the foundation is crucial. And that's what we're going to look at today as we dive into this section of Scripture. Now, we're going to call this, we're going to title this Christ Our Cornerstone. So hopefully you have your journal. How many of you have your journal? Awesome. Those who raise a hand as being visitors, I'm so sorry. I meant to give you a journal as a gift, and there's three of you. So if you can stop by the info center on the way out, I want to give you an Ephesians journal uh, for taking notes. We're going to call it Christ Our Cornerstone, and here's what we're going to look at. We're going to see four things in our outline this morning. In verse 19, which is going to allow us some review, we're simply going to see the household of God, which is the church. Verse 19, the household of God which is the church. In verse 20, we're going to see her foundation, the church's foundation, her foundation, the bride. In verse 21, we're going to see her formation. And then in verse 22, we'll see her function, her foundation, her formation, and her function as we go through this. And uh, because I'm still full of turkey, we'll see how far we get. This morning, it's so good to see y'all. Y'all, y'all look really nice this morning. Best congregation in North Carolina, and y'all look beautiful. This, and I, I'm not the only one to say that, by the way. Other pastors have called and tried to bribe me to switch or, or whatever, you know, or, go, or even just to go on vacation and let them come hang out. I'm telling you, you don't believe me, but I'm telling you. That's the way it is. That's the word on the street. And so, uh, but let's dive in. Uh, verse 19. Now, look at it with me. He says, now, therefore... You were no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and notice members of the household of God. I love that. There's a progression here. He says, now, therefore, because if you remember, as we've gone through this, so many things have happened. So many amazing things that he shared with them that they were chosen before the foundation of the world in chapter one. That they were predestined, literally predetermined by God. That they were accepted by God into his family, that they were, or we were and are, uh, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Remember all of that? And it's beautiful. And, and he began to tell us in chapter 2 that, that, you know, it was by grace that we were saved through faith. That we were dead in sins and trespasses, but he quickened us, chapter 2, verse 1, and made us alive. Y'all remember that? He began to tell us, as we looked at chapter 2, verse 12, that we previously were without Christ, being aliens and strangers from God and the promises of God, having absolutely no hope, chapter 2, verse 12. That's the state of the world. We've looked at that, the state of the world, without Christ, aliens of the promises of God, having no hope, dead in sins and trespasses. That's those who are currently in the world now who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, destined to be separated from him for all eternity in a Christless hell to be tormented in the lake of fire. That's what scripture says. And the scripture says that that's who we were. Being far off, chapter 2, verse 13 but now brought near by the blood of Christ, Christ being our peace, verses 14 through 18, removing the division and the source of conflict 
and has created in himself a brand new body of believers, uniting both Jew and Gentile. And now, therefore, with all of that says, because of that, he says, now, therefore, because of all that Christ has done, we are no longer, look at it with me again in verse 19, strangers and foreigners. And those are beautiful words. Look, let me, let me give you what it means in the Greek. This word strangers in the Greek, it means a foreigner or an alien who has no knowledge or share in the dwelling or inheritance, but only receives hospitality for a season. Very interesting. I put all the parts of the definition together to give you that. A stranger, no knowledge or share in anything. Only, only temporarily dare receive in hospitality for a season. This word foreigner in the Greek, it means, and we know this, a sojourner having no citizenship. I love this. So look, we were aliens to God, sojourners on our way to hell, enjoying God's hospitality of the earth for a season. I call it hospitality because the fact that everybody woke up with air in their lungs, that's hospitality. <laughs> you know, people are alive. That's the hospitality of God. He's allowing that for a season. But now, listen, we are citizens of his kingdom and sojourners of the earth, enduring these harsh conditions for a season while here. And we've been given the role of ambassadors of God while we're here. And that's what we look at in this verse, this amazing contrast. Now, therefore, because of all that Christ has done, you are no longer strangers or foreigners. Not of God, but we are sojourners here on the earth. Amen. Now, here's what he says. Now, now because we're not that anymore, here's the good news. But notice is, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. I like that. Fellow citizens with the saints. But who are the saints? You might ask. Who are the saints? Well, look. We know, listen, that all who are part of the body of believers are called saints, all right? And the only way to become a saint is through faith in God's plan of redemption. And as we learned last week, listen, no ethnic Jew will become a saint based upon bloodline. All come to salvation through faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Because there's only one way to God, amen? And that is through Christ. God has a plan for national Israel, but God has made a brand new creation in the church made up of both Jew and Gentile as he made the two we learned last week, one, removing the walls of separation. And he, we have made one, he has made one body in his flesh, and that is beautiful. And so listen, and so the saints of, uh, of the Old Testament and the New Testament become the same in the Lord. Hebrews eleven thirteen talks about this, and these are the saints I think that he's referring to. In Hebrews eleven thirteen on the screen, it says, these all died in faith. These who? Well, you remember that chapter. It's the Hall of Fame of Faith. He's talking about everyone, Abel and David and, and, and um, uh, all of those who, uh, Moses, all of those who serve the Lord in faith, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Y'all remember that list? I can't rehearse the whole list, but you remember the many, many, many men and women of the Old Testament that followed the plan of God. Abraham, all of them. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed, check this out, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They declared out of their own mouth that this ain't home for us. 
We're looking for something that is far beyond this. And the Bible says, therefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God. So who is the saints he's talking about? He's talking about the saints who have come before, who believed in the plan of God for salvation. And when Christ died, he went and freed them from Abraham's bosom and allowed them to go into the heavenlies where they are now there ahead of us. What saints? Notice he says in verse 19 again that we are fellow citizens with the saints. I love this because the Bible says, look, and this is by faith. They died in faith. They didn't see it but they received it. They didn't see it on this side, but they did receive it. Likewise for us, we don't see, listen, we haven't seen many things on this side yet, but we walk by faith, don't we? In fact, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God because the Bible says Old Testament and New that the just shall live by faith. We haven't seen in fact, I love this. First Peter on the screen, first Peter one, eight, nine says this, whom having not seen you love. What is he saying? He's talking about us who belong to Christ. We have not seen Christ face to face. And I'm going to ask the question, has anybody here seen Christ face to face? I want to see, give me one weird one. No. Okay, good. <laughs> Having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. I love this. What is the end of our faith? The salvation of your souls. Because we're walking by faith. We haven't seen him, but we've placed our faith in him, just like the, the saints he's referring to here. So we become fellow citizens with the saints. And let me add, we have become saints. Amen. We see that through the scripture. We're fellow citizens with the saints. If you, were, if you grew up Catholic and you thought that the saints were only the statues you had to pray to, I, I'm here to liberate you today. <laughs> you are free from that. You yourself, if you place your faith in Christ, you are fellow citizens with the saints. And let me say you are a saint. But it, it goes beyond that. Look, notice the progression. Not only are we fellow citizens with the saints, notice it says that we are also, notice in the end the, of the verse 19, we're also members, check that out, members of the household of God. To me, that is beautiful. Members of the household of God. We could call it the household of faith. We have become members of his household. That means that as members of his household, we know the scripture tells us that we have become sons, and that includes daughters, of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? You're a member of the household. That means you can go open the refrigerator when you want. And ain't nobody going to look at you funny except for me if you stand there too long with it open. Because <laughs> I paid the electric bill. You know, you better get what you want and close the door. I mean... You know, I, we have these discussions with my kids all the time. I go stand there and look at it and, and pose and then start thinking about something else. Why they got the door open and I'm losing my mind. It happens to me all the time. But no, we're look, members of the household of God. 
Because if you remember, listen, remember how drastic this is. He told us before, if you remember several weeks ago, that we were afar off. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You remember the Old Testament pictures that God gave of how separate he was from sinners. And we've gone through this over and over and over. In fact, remember, as I've told you in times past, that you could only draw close to God if you were an ethnic Jew or a proselyte who was walking according to the law and you hadn't broken certain points of the law, for instance, to come near a dead body, which would disqualify yourself. Or a woman who maybe was having her time of blood, if you will, couldn't come near. Like the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. So we know it had been 12 years since she had even come close. She couldn't come to worship. See, in the Old Testament, all of these things had to be met for you to come and worship, and you could draw near, but you could only get so close. Look, the closest that you, can, you and I could get, because we were not of the tribe of Levi, we were not a descendant of Aaron, so we could only come to the door of the tabernacle if I was a Jewish proselyte, and then... I could only come if I'd done all of the things that the law required. And then when I got there, I could only come with an animal. And then I would take the animal and lay my right hand on the animal's head. And in my left hand, I would take the knife and slit the animal's throat. And then that would symbolize with my hand as the animal is dying, my sins being transferred to this innocent, sub, innocent substitute. And then the priest would take some of the blood and sprinkle it inside the tabernacle on the altar. And that is as close as I can get. And the only one that could get closer were the Levites who were working within the tabernacle. But they can only get so close. And then only the high priest could go closer, but then he could only go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he had to go in having prepared himself with sacrifices. And then he had to go in right with the rope tied around his ankle. So if he went in wrong, he would die and they would drag him out. It was a clear picture that God was making, which is he was separate from, from sin and separate from sinners. And you could only approach one way and through the law very, very carefully. So you who were far off, now he's brought you near and you become citizens of a heavenly kingdom. The Bible says very clearly our citizenship is in heaven from where or once we wait for the Lord himself to descend from heaven and transform our lowly bodies to be conformed as to his glorious body. Amen? We know that. That's what we're waiting for. But not only are we the citizens, we also are now members of the household, which literally means that now, as spirit-filled, spirit-born, born-again believers, we literally have access to the very presence of God, who is our Father, and there is no separation. And this is huge. And to the first century church, this was extremely huge. For Paul to even be saying these things. So we're members of a household now. We are citizens of heaven and members of the household of God. And that is huge. But notice not only are we members. He goes on now to talk about the foundation of this household. This household he's referring to is the church. This brand new creation that Jesus has created. Which is made up both of Jew and Gentile who were formerly divided. He's brought them together in this household, which we call the church. And notice the foundation of the church in verse 20. Notice it says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I love this. Foundations are extremely important. 
There's a picture I want to show you on the screen of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. How many of y'all have seen that? I think it's a little bit more dramatic than that if you catch the right angle. But that thing is leaning. I might not want to go up in it. Anybody ever been in it? Do they let people in it? They do. Okay. Do you walk kind of at an angle when you go in there? Because I know you've been in it. <laughs> the thing is leaning. Why is it leaning? You know why it's leaning? Because once it was, it was during construction in the 12th century, the thing began to tilt why they were building the second story. And the, script, uh, the, the, the history tells us that it was eventually construction was halted for almost a century. But the reason why, listen, the reason why the thing was tilting is because the ground was too soft to hold the weight and it began to tilt. And then because the country went to war for almost a century, the construction stopped, allowing the soil to finally settle. Because if they had continued it would have toppled over and been destroyed because the soil was not strong enough to support the necessary foundation to hold that thing up. Isn't that interesting? That thing almost went over. You know, when you watch them build um, skyscrapers, they go very deep to lay the right foundation. I remember even going to New York after 9-11 and looking at their massive hole that was in the ground there uh, that was left from the towers going down. You have to dig deep and lay a real foundation in order to support a structure. And Christ is in the process. Live, listen, he's in the process of building a structure. Now, you got to understand this because you're a member of this structure. He's in the process of building the structure, and he was very careful to lay the right foundation. And this structure, notice in verse 20, is being built on the foundation, notice, of the apostles and the prophets. Now, think about this, apostles and prophets. Well, what prophets are we talking about? Because we really, listen, we really only read of one prophet in the New Testament, and that is Agabus. He's not talking about the Old Testament prophets. He's talking about New Testament prophets. We only really read of one and then, of course, Philip had four daughters that prophesied. We see those, right? But listen, here's the thing. The apostles, look, they operated, listen very carefully. The apostles operated in the, in the gift of, of the prophet often. John, one of the apostles, giving us the book of Revelation. Jude writing it prophetically. Peter writing prophetically. Are you with me so far? Now, look. They function as evangelists often as they would take the word of God to new areas. Uh, Paul always evangelizing. Peter being the first to evangelize the Gentiles as a whole when he went to Cornelius' house. They had the heart of pastors and they were teachers. They were called to the office of apostle. And I believe he's saying here as he, the language in the Greek implies the same, having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, speaking of the apostles. And so here's the thing. In what way, listen, in what way are the apostles the foundation of the structure that Christ is building? Because some debate whether the apostles are the foundation or whether the apostles laid the foundations. Well, which is it? I believe that they laid the foundation. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 on the screen, 9 and 10. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. I love the imagery that is consistent through the New Testament. So he uses one of the imageries here of a building. And he says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise, notice, master builder, I have laid the foundation because a wise master builder is going to lay a deep and sturdy foundation that is adequate to support 
the structure. And he says, as a wise master builder, Paul says, I have laid the foundation. And then he says, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. And what is Paul talking about in that scripture? Listen, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that he has laid, listen, a foundation with the Corinthians in the fact that he has not only preached the gospel to them, but he's also begun a discipleship process and he continues to wash them in the word of God. Stay with me for a minute. I think Jesus gives us a clue in Matthew on the screen. Jesus says this, and this is a dialogue between Jesus and the apostles and particularly Peter. Notice it says, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, always the first one to speak up, says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, listen, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And let me say this, if you're here and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, even though I might be preaching to you or somebody preached to you. You know, you can, you can have the best preacher and nobody gets saved. Nobody comes to the Father unless they're being drawn uh, to the Son unless they're being drawn by the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, and so the Holy Spirit reveals that truth. And he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, check this out, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And I just open up a can of worms for myself because I don't have time to explain all of that. So you're going to have to, which here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to be a scholar. You need to listen to me. You need to write it down, and then you need to go dig. You with me? Now, here's the thing. Many think that Peter himself is the rock that Christ built the church on. In fact, the, 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 the Catholics believe that he was the first pope because of this scripture. You know, basically, he's the rock of the church. But remember our text here in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says there in verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles, plural, and prophets. And here's the thing, the rock that Jesus was referring to must be something else. And I believe that it is the confession that Peter made. Listen, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I believe that the confession, that confession, listen, that confession is the rock upon which the church is being built today. And so the apostles are laying the foundation of God's word. And we got to understand something. Jesus wanted to make sure this thing was right from the very beginning. So the apostles come along and what do they do? They take the gospel to the world, turn the world upside down. Those who believe, they begin to make Acts 14 says they made disciples out of them. Some of you Italian folks, that, that rings a bell with you. Because, you know, getting made is a big deal for the family. Tony, Tony's not here. I, I, I put that in here for Tony, and he's not even here today. Anyway, they made disciples. Listen, the Word of God is perfect. The Word of God teaches us. The Word of God is, is alive and active. It is able to build you up, Scripture says. It washes you, Scripture says. It equips the man of God. It, it, it trains us how to know the things of God and what is right. It, it brings correction when needed. 
You know, it, it, it rightly discerns the thoughts and the motives and intents of our heart, even when we're trying to withhold them because it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And the very, listen, the very word of God has become the very authority by which we operate in the church today. And without it, we would be lost. So the word of God being laid as a foundation protects us. Why? Because it's the finished work of the canon of scripture that the apostles have given us that is so important. Listen, because we got to understand the New Testament is concealed in the old and the Old Testament is revealed in the new. And so the canon of scriptures being completed is very important. And it was completed by the apostles and the early church understood what was apostolic scripture. If scripture was divinely inspired, it meant that it was apostolic. And this is how they knew it had to be written. Listen, scripture, in order to be accepted by the early church, first century church, which knew the scripture by the close of the first century, they understood what was scripture and what was not. It had to be written by an apostle or someone who was closely discipled by one of the apostles. And we think about the New Testament. Matthew, an apostle. Mark, discipled both by Peter and Paul and traveled with Paul a little. Luke, traveled with all the apostles, interviewed everybody mentioned in the Gospels. Very well respected by the early church. He was considered apostolic because of his relationship to the apostles and his full understanding of the scriptures, having tested everything. John, an apostle. Luke wrote Acts. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. We have the writer of Hebrews who we feel is Paul by the very language. We have two of the brothers of Jesus who didn't believe until after he was raised, but then they became trusted, respected men by the apostles in the church of Jesus Christ. John given us prophecy in the book of Revelation at the end. And so we have this close of the canon, which is apostolic in every way. And so listen, this becomes a foundation for us because without this foundation, we have no way of testing what is right and what is wrong. It's because of this foundation that you can walk with confidence within the body of Christ, understanding even yourself how to test things that are brought to you. It's because of this foundation I can say to the Mormon, you're, a, uh, you're wrong, you're a heretic, you're part of a cult. It's because of this foundation I can tell the Jehovah's Witness, you don't understand the one by whom we have been saved. It's because of this foundation, I can say to the Catholic, there's only one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all, and there is no priesthood or saint we should pray to. We only worship Christ. It's because of this foundation, I can say to the prosperity gospel teacher, you're off balance, you're wrong. It's because of this foundation that I'm protected, and I'm fed, and I'm washed, and I'm strengthened and things become clear so that I can be a part of the body of Christ in a safe way. It's because of this foundation we understand what the church should look like. We understand what leadership should look like. It's because of this foundation, it's because of this foundation that we're growing and we're being built up into something. You follow me? So what is the foundation? It's the very word of God that you hold in your hand, which God has given to us to do such an amazing work in us. And as you spend time in it, it transforms your life and it makes you something brand new. It chisels away at the rough stuff and polishes you off and puts some life into you. 
And I don't know if you've ever seen the miracle of a changed life, but I've seen the miracle of a changed life. But see, a brand new, a brand new believer doesn't grow without this foundation, the word of God. Can't grow without it. This is food for the spirit of the believer. And so the apostles preached the gospel and then they made disciples and then they gave them the word and they said, stay grounded in it. Acts 2.42, of which our congregation is built off of, they continued steadfast in the apostles. What, y'all? Doctrine. That's their teaching. In fellowship, prayer, and breaking bread. And they continued in that, and because of that, they grew strong. And so he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles. But notice not just on the foundation of the apostles. It also says here in verse 20, Jesus Christ himself being, notice, the chief cornerstone. And this is huge. The chief cornerstone. And we're talking about first century construction. Because if you go ask one of the contractors in here to now, they may not be able to explain the cornerstone to you. But they, they doing the same thing as they're causing their foundation to line up. Listen, the cornerstone or foundation stone, or they called it even the setting stone, is the first stone set in the construction of a, of a masonry foundation. Important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. You can't begin without setting that stone exactly right, and then everything else is being set on that, just like everything else is being built on this foundation of which Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the church is being built upon that. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing to even begin to fathom. There's a story you may have heard me share in times past. There's a story that the uh, building was going on in the temple and the builders, ignorant of the plan of the original architect or the chief architect, chose the wrong stone to begin to set in the corner for the building. And they were having problems only to later go back and realize that they had cast aside the actual foundation stone of which they had to then bring out and put in place in order to build the temple. And it's interesting because you begin to think about how it correlates. Listen, the master builders or the original builders, which were the Jewish leaders, did the same thing. They cast aside the cornerstone and tried to build on their own religious materials. Peter reminds us of this. Peter says, therefore, to you who believe he, Christ, is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, he's quoting the Psalms, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. Christ is the chief cornerstone. And a cornerstone, listen, they would spend a lot of time on a cornerstone preparing it, chiseling away at it, shaping it, putting it through intense preparation in order for it to be the cornerstone. Christ, likewise, Prepared to be the cornerstone. Do you know scripture says in Hebrews that Christ, listen, he, it says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. We never think about that. Christ? Yes, he did. Because even though he was God, he submitted himself to the Father, made himself of no reputation, taken upon himself the form of a bondservant, and submitted to the life of humanity, living a perfect life just so he could offer it as a sacrifice. Y'all know that, right? And the Bible says that he learned obedience through the very things he suffered, being prepared to be the cornerstone. 
And then he was rejected by the religious leaders. Rejected and cast aside outside of the city without excuse. Do you know that the religious leaders of Israel had every prophecy necessary to determine the time that Messiah would arrive, where he would come from, and everything he would do. And everything that pointed to Messiah was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But they rejected him and cast him aside. But as a cornerstone is eventually honored in a building, Christ has been exalted and now is being honored. And we, as Peter says, are living stones being built up into this this temple that he's making. Notice as we continue, we're going to finish this up. Not only do we see the foundation, which is the word of God, Christ being the center, the cornerstone himself, of which this is all lining up. But verse 21, we see that we also the formation of the church. Notice in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I love this. Stay with me. I love this. Being fitted together. You see that there? It means to join closely together or as in the framing of a building or as in the members even of the body. We're being joined together. Sometimes we don't like that because we rub each other wrong. But he's joining us closely together. He's knitting us together. It says over in Ephesians 4.16 on the screen, we're going to get there in a few weeks. It says, from whom the whole body fitted or fitly joined together. And compacted by that which every joint supplieth, I'm sorry, I'm reading the King James, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. It sounds almost like a self-healing, functioning body, doesn't it? Well, that is what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ is alive. It's being built up, but it is alive because of the very spirit of God. Amen. So then he says, being, look at the verse again, in whom the whole building being fitted together, notice this, grows into a holy temple. I love this. This word grows means to cause, to grow, or to increase, or to become great. And we don't see this because we're limited as individuals. As individuals, we're so limited. But the body of Christ, check this out, is growing and expanding at the same time as it's growing and expanding. It's being built by Christ. And so what this all implies, this is this is the thing. Being fitted together means that the builder is very carefully putting things specifically in the place that they need to go in order to work with the whole. And what that means is even as you were being saved and the spirit of God was coming alive on the inside of you, that he has a very specific part for you to play within the body of Christ. There's a share that you need to contribute to. And as you surrender to him and he works on you, you become whatever it is that he desires for you to be. Fit it together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In other words, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning each one of you individually. But then now it seems that something else is happening. Point number four for today. Notice what it says. The function of the church is my point in verse 22. In whom you all, you also are being built together. Here it is. For a dwelling place in God, in the spirit. I love this. Being built together. It means to be put together or to construct by building 
out of several things to build one whole. And that's very interesting because, look, we, are, we already know that he's taken Jew and he's taken Gentile. We got that. But if you look around the room, he's taking a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Huh? I don't even know what some of y'all are. <laughs> Me either. And he's taking all of that mess of which the world might call a mess. And he's transformed it. And he's bringing all of those building materials together to form a temple. And what's the function? Here's the function of the church. That he would dwell. Look at verse 22. And whom we're being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I love the picture. What's the Lord doing? He's dwelling in our midst. Well, do we see this? Yeah. If you read Revelation chapter one, we see the seven golden lampstands, which represent the completion of the church, if you will. In the midst of it is the son of man, Jesus Christ, walking in the midst of the church, having seven stars that of the churches that he's holding in his right hand. We find it. Those stars, we'll get there, and we're going to really spend time in Revelation. Those stars represent, listen, the messengers or the pastors of, of the churches. So he has them in his hand. I was praising him for that this morning as I was writing notes. He's got me. He's got the church. He's in the midst of the church. He dwells in the midst of the church. He desires us to be a dwelling place for him. He not only dwells in you, but he dwells in us collectively. And some think that the New Jerusalem, as it's described in the book of Revelation, is symbolic of this, but I think it's a literal city based upon the description. But the imagery is complete because it says that there'll be no sun and moon there in that city because the glory of the Lord will be there, his very presence. And see, we don't even understand this. It's going to be so splendid. We will dwell, listen, we will dwell with him there for eternity. Now, here's the thing. The Lord walked with believers. Noah walked with the Lord. Uh, Enoch walked with him and was taken. Y'all remember those things, right? But then later on, as he instructed Moses, they built the tabernacle and he dwelt in the midst. Okay, y'all remember that too. The Shekinah glory of the Lord in the holy place. Okay, and that continued until because of sin over and over and over, the glory of the Lord eventually left the, the temple. Ezekiel talks about that. Showed up again when Jesus showed up. Spirit of God being in him. But see, on Pentecost, he dwelt in the midst of his people again in the new creation, which is the church. And with us, he will dwell for all eternity. And we can't really explain what that's going to look like, but... For all eternity, listen, we will dwell with him and he will dwell in our midst in this new city, Jerusalem. And the Bible says nothing that defiles will ever enter there. In fact, we being a part of the bride, we will have rule and reigning positions with the Lord. And, and the kings of the earth, the Bible says, will come into that new Jerusalem to bring the glory of the earth. You know, there'll be the nations still there throughout the kingdom, not just the millennia kingdom, but as we go into eternity somehow, we don't know what it looks like fully, but we know that we will be with him. He will be in our midst. And that's what eternity for us is going to look like. And so he's, he's talking about the fact that he's tore down the walls of separation. He's made the Jew and the Gentile one, and he's created this brand new creation, the church. And then he lays out the beauty of it being built on the foundation of the apostles, the very word of God, the one thing that we cannot abandon as a church. We preach the word because it's the word that brings about change. 
And as we go through the word, it has a transforming power to change you and shape and mold you more and more. As the Holy Spirit who wrote the word, he's the author of it, all scriptures inspired by the spirit of God. The same Holy Spirit that wrote the word is used the word in your life. Completely transforming your thought process, your worldview, your understanding of, of your purpose, and how you relate to the people around you. And creating such a hope in you that allows you to rise above the things that we deal with down here. And that's what he's doing. Amen. And so Christ, our cornerstone, he's doing a work. Now, chapter three, give me another 30 minutes. We can, we, no, I'm just joking. No. He's actually going to go into this mystery further called the church. I think there's so much about the church that we don't understand. Here's the thing you got to understand. National Israel intact. God's plan for Israel is still there. But the problem through the ages or through the several hundred years, the last several hundred years, is people don't understand that the church and Israel, the national Israel, both have their place with God. He has promises to both. But it's always been his intention to create this beautiful thing called the church because the Bible says that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. This was his plan from the very beginning. Israel was necessary for him to show himself to the world and to bring forth Messiah. You understand? But the church has always been his intention from the very beginning, and he's about to do something amazing with the church. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord God. As we're over time, I pray that you would continue to, to be with us throughout the day, Lord God. I pray for the people in the room that you would go before us into this week, that you would lead, that you would give discernment where necessary. I pray your protection over every home, every car, every job, every classroom. Lord, allow us to shine as the light of the world and, and to be the salt of the earth as you proclaim that we are. And I pray that we would bring glory to you this week. And if there's anyone here with every head bowed, every eye closed, anyone here and you don't know Christ personally, you understand religion, you go to church, but you don't know him as a personal savior. Life hasn't been changed. Don't sense his presence. Then I would say today that that sense you have is the Lord drawing you to settle the issue and trust him. And if you want to get saved today, he will meet you here. He will receive you and he will never leave you. He'll pour his spirit into your life, forgiving your sins, giving you life in him. And if you desire to receive him with every head bowed and every eye closed, just raise your hand right where you sit and I will pray with you that you would receive Christ as Savior today. Just put your hand up and we will settle that issue for you. Lord, we do thank you for meeting us here. And we love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.